Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Calvary Grace Church this morning, where we're actually a colony of heaven, and we proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ here amongst us. Just before we begin, I'm just going to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Clint Humphrey. I'm the senior pastor here, and looking forward to worshiping with you all. A little bit of family news that we've got this morning is that if you are a newcomer, uh, and you can define that however you want, uh, but if you've been here new in the last number of months, you're, you're invited to come downstairs after the service for a newcomer's lunch. And if you've, if you've been to one of these newcomer lunches and you really want to come again, you could probably come down too. Uh, but it's just a chance to learn more about the church uh, and to be able to ask questions from me and uh, it's generally a pretty good time. So that's right after the service. As well, if you are in the Christmas choir, uh, Tim Arnholtz has asked that you would come up around the piano here after the service, and you're going to have a little choir practice. So we'll all get to listen in as, as you guys practice as we, as we fellowship together. There are a number of announcements in your bulletin. You'll want to find out about Bible studies and all, all the different things. We've got upcoming baptism services congregational meetings, but the, but the key thing I want to mention is Wednesday night is our monthly prayer meeting. Just strongly urge you to come to that prayer meeting. I was just in Toronto uh, last week, and just I spoke about the prayer meeting as an opportunity to express even some of your own political activism. If you're concerned about what's going on in the society and the culture, you should come to the prayer meeting and be able to express your your cares and your burdens to the Lord with other saints. So strongly urge you to come on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Well, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 102, beginning in verse 25, as we hear our call to worship. We're actually called by God to worship Him this morning. And Psalm 102, verse 25 We hear God's Word summoning us to worship. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Would you pray with me as we consider even the singularity of God this morning? Almighty God, I ask that as we begin to worship you this morning, we would see that you do not change. You are the same, that we can rely on You, that we can trust You, that You won't pull the rug out from under us, that we can rely on Your goodness, Your truth, Your character, and therefore we can trust You for Your promises. We know that if You have called us to Yourself, we can rely on You that You will do us good and that You promise us even a home in heaven beyond the grave. And now, Lord, we also trust You that You will meet us with Your very special presence this morning. That we can know You in a special way as we worship You in spirit and in truth. As we hear Your Word read and preached. As we sing Your praises. As we consider even joining together with other saints in worship and in song. So accept our prayers. Accept our worship glorify yourself among us and we pray all this in Jesus name amen invite you to stand as we worship the true and living God together please rise if you've been here for a while or if you're new you you may know that our order of service follows a, a very simple pattern that's been established through the centuries and at this point in the service what we want to do is to confess our sins to own our sins before the Lord to help us to do that 
I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20 and verses 1 to 3. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. And you will notice that this chapter, Exodus chapter 20, outlines the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses 1 to 3. And and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now I want you just to consider the threat of idolatry in your life. Have you given yourself to idols? Have you given yourself to competitors? Have you given yourself to worshiping things rather than worshiping God, treating things as if they are God? Have you given yourself over in that way? Have you then ignored the true God? Have you neglected the true God? Have you not trusted the true God, not not relied on Him, not leaned on the true God, and instead leaned on other people or other things? Well, all of this, this rejection of the true God is in fact sin. So no matter the sins of behavior that you may have committed, or even the sins of omission, where you have omitted to rely upon, the, on, upon God, these then are all culpable. They're all sin before Him. And so I want us just to bow our heads and take a few moments and own, that is confess, our sins, namely what we have done against God and against His truth, against His law, but also the ways that we have omitted to do all that we have been called to do. Just bow your head and take a few moments to confess your sins and own them before God, and then I'll pray for us. O Lord God, holy and separate and almighty and majestic, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want to own our sins against you. Heavenly Father, forgive us for all the ways that we have omitted to do what you have commanded us to do. Forgive us for all the things that we have done that you have told us not to do them. Lord, even though those of us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, even though we know Christ, our flesh still pulls at us and causes us to do what is really now against type and we we feed the flesh and support the flesh. Forgive us for this. Lord, I pray that you would grant us repentance to turn from the indulgence of the flesh, to turn from the ways that we commit sin and the ways that we have omitted being obedient to you. Help us to turn from that. Grant us a greater conformity to your word, a conformity to the character and the ethics, and even a conformity to the obedience of Jesus himself. And help us, Lord, to do those things in new obedience that we have failed to do. Grant us even the fruits of repentance and the fruits of righteousness that only you can produce, but we appeal to you to change our lives even as we want to live in the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that Jesus Christ died for these sins that we are confessing, and he said, it is finished. And when he died for our sins, they were cast into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. We thank you that as we confess our sins, you are actually faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, help us to believe that, to believe that our sins are forgiven when we confess them to you. Make this so, we pray, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Kids' Bible memory verse that is our assurance of pardon. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul speaking, but if you're a Christian believer here this morning, you can actually put your own name in this verse. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that remarkable that Christ gave himself for sinners? And he gave himself not just at the cross, but he gave himself even before that, even in the Son's own taking on flesh, even taking on flesh in the womb of the Virgin, which we're going to talk about in the sermon. And it is, if you follow the church calendar, it's the first Sunday of Advent. And so as we think about Christ and his incarnation, he came so that our sins would be forgiven but it is only as we believe in Him and are crucified with Him that we can have the confidence that our sins have actually been atoned for and they are forgiven and we are called then to live by faith in Christ with our sins forgiven. They're forgiven. And I know you're struggling to believe that, but they are forgiven. And that's what we celebrate even this morning with that assurance of pardon. Before we sing, I'm just going to read a section from an ancient creed from 381 A.D., that is Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, 381. This is the Nicene Creed adapted at the council in Constantinople. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, of one essence with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate, and suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. That is, the, that is the faith that we confess. I invite you to continue to worship as we stand and sing praises to this God and to no other. Please rise. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. so wonderful to sing that Christmas hymn. But let's look at the Word of God to to hear where this this name Emmanuel comes from. Isaiah chapter 7, reading verses 10 through 17. This is the very Word of God. Isaiah 7, verse 10. Again, 
the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house house, such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Holy God, we humble ourselves before you, even as we recognize you are the God who lifts up nations and casts them down. All our times are in your hands. And so we come to you, appealing to you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for how you have preserved this church, how you have caused us to be a church that loves you and loves your word and wants to serve you and serve each other and bear witness to the watching world. We pray that that would continue. We pray that your word would go forth from this church, from its people, that we would be faithful in testifying even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We thank you, Lord, that you have granted us mercy, many of us, even just physically recently and recovering from illness. And yet we also see there are many who are suffering illness now, many at home even this morning, whether those are short-term illnesses or even longer-term maladies. Lord, we pray for mercy upon them. We want to intercede on their behalf that you would show your kindness in healing them, in granting them relief. Lord, we also thank you that you're a God who is at work in and through this church. We thank you for Pastor Gavin, and we pray, Lord, that you would help him as he ministers in Zambia this week, as he preaches to the pastors there. We thank you for the ministry and work of Central African University, Philip Hunt, and many others. We pray, Lord, for the advance of the gospel in that nation. We thank you that even through our prayers, we can have a small part to play in that ministry. Lord, we also pray for the advance of the gospel closer to home. We pray for your working even in the Bow Valley. We think of Grace Church in Cochrane, Pastor Jeff Jones and the saints there. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to cause that work to flourish and grow. We think of Pastor Josh Carey, who's preaching in Canmore at Crossway Church. We pray that you would empower him as he heralds the gospel even in that community this morning. Lord, we are concerned. We have many burdens as we look out on this world. We we are concerned for our families, our neighbors, our nation. And Lord, we appeal to you to act. We pray that you would raise up leaders that would not speak falsehood, but rather that they would speak truth. We pray that we would have governments that would care for the vulnerable, that they would not exploit them. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to be a church that testifies to your truth. We thank you for your word and even its prophetic power, even as it has been proven to be true across the centuries. And so now, Lord, I ask, as we look at your word, help us to believe it, to believe you, that you are the God who does not lie. 
And help us to put all of our weight, all of our cares, all of our anxieties, all of our fears, help us to put them upon you and trust you to deliver us. Oh Lord, make this so and help us now we pray, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. As I think about you, and I think about me, and I think about where we're at today, at this point in history, at this point in our lives, and as I hear your stories and what's going on in your lives, I've come to see that all of us, every one of you, myself included, but all of us are being tested right now. Tested in many different ways. Tested morally. Tested financially, tested mentally, tested emotionally, certainly tested relationally, and at bottom of it all, tested spiritually. There's various pressures I think you're feeling, pressures all around, pressures to conform to the spirit of the age, pressures to Abandon your duties towards your family, towards your employer, towards your community. Even abandon your duties even to yourself, as it were. And above all, just to abandon any kind of duty and obligation and loyalty to God. We're under pressure to just give up. One writer, noting just this anxious age that we're in and the pressures that cause us to be very anxious. He said this. He's speaking about the U.S., but I think it applies to the West. It applies to Canada here too. And he said this. The West is filled with people frantically seeking confirmation of their own essential goodness. Let me say that again. The West is filled with people frantically seeking confirmation of their own essential goodness. We are a nation desperate to stand on the side of morality, to know that we are righteous and we dwell in the light. And if you were to think about what's going on in our world, that is what is happening. People desperate to be seen to be right. Desperate to know and to be confirmed that they are good. And so then we're under a lot of pressure then. And in fact, we're developing anxiety in response to that pressure to be good in the ways that we're told we need to be good. It's interesting that all of these pressures from the world are pressures to assure us that we're righteous and yet without reference to God. And it's interesting that it's the same pressures that Israel felt seven centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ. Over 700 years. That's the time frame in what I was just reading from Isaiah chapter 7. Israel, just like us, they faced external pressures that made them very anxious. And their threat, the the problem with them was as they felt that anxiety and these external pressures, they were tempted to turn to idols. They were God's people, but they were turning to idols. And I just want to give a little bit of historical background to this passage that we read. You know, Israel was God's chosen people, and they'd been split into two kingdoms by this point. Two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, it gets confusing, the northern kingdom was called Israel. Used to be before that, the whole works was called Israel. Then it split, and only the northern king was, kingdom was Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. All the kids know that. Judah. Now, they were slightly more faithful to God than the northern kingdom, just slightly. And Judah, though, was threatened by a northern 
superpower named Assyria. The Assyrians were renowned for their terror tactics. We read in the book of Jonah how Jonah deals with the main city of Assyria, Nineveh. So that's kind of the, 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 kind of the big picture. But Judah also had local problems. They had immediate threats from these smaller states that were nearby. They had a threat from Syria and even from Judah's northern kinsmen, this northern kingdom of Israel. Now, I just, I'm just laying that out because it's really important when we're going to look at this passage to recognize the importance of history. We have to pay attention to history as Christians. Uh, it reminds us that what the Bible talks about is real. It's not just myths. These are real things. So I was reminded of this. So uh, some of you knew, uh, not this past week, but the week before, I was, I was in Denver and then I was in Toronto. Uh, and so when I was in Toronto, Pastor Josh and I, we were at a conference. And on the Saturday after the conference, a little bit of time before my flight left, so we went downtown Toronto to the Royal Ontario Museum. And if you've ever been to the ROM, as it's called, the ROM has all of these artifacts there from the Greek and Roman empires, from Egypt and from Assyria and Babylon. And you can go and you see stuff, things that it's not a hundred years old, like they're, uh, you know, thousands of years old. And it's amazing. You see these things that are, you know, they're tangible pieces. You can go to the British Museum and you can see the stone reliefs from Assyria that depicted events that are referred to in the book of Isaiah. So it's not make, this stuff's not made up. You can go and see the archaeological evidence of what the Bible speaks about. But history is also important because people, even people in the past, they're still people. And Judah was doing exactly what people do today, what people in the church do today. They were tempted to worship idols. They still had the true and living God, but they were tempted to worship idols because idols are easier to manage. Idols are closer at hand, they think. And so they relied on idols. They were testing out and trusting these idols. Now, if you flip back in your Bible to the second chapter of Isaiah, in the second chapter of Isaiah, God promises to them, in verse 17 of chapter 2, He says, the haughtiness of man shall be humbled. That's the pride of man. The haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And what about the idols, verse 18? The idols shall utterly pass away. And just to reinforce that fact, just to reinforce that these idols that Israel was tempted to rely on to relieve their anxiety, to reinforce that in the mind of God's messenger, particularly Isaiah the prophet, in chapter 6, turn there, he was awed by this vision. If you know Isaiah at all, Isaiah chapter 6, we've preached from it, uh, Pastor Gavin's preached from it, I have, Pastor Josh, many times. Isaiah 6 is this amazing vision that is given to Isaiah of God in the throne room of heaven, as it were. And the angels in verse 3 sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And that vision for Isaiah of God who is holy and so morally pure and separate and exalted, it's so pure and perfect that Isaiah actually needs cleansing before he can speak God's message to God's people. And we are told in verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So amazing. Here's, here's this, 
this foretaste of the gospel here and this forgiveness of sins. But he had to have his sins forgiven because he had encountered absolute purity. When you encounter absolute purity, it exposes your own pollution. So that's what had to happen for Isaiah to to speak this message that he was going to give. And so, so just relating then to this history, I've got to ask as we start, what are the idols that you have been bringing into your life? What are, what are the things that you have been bringing into your life in order to try to cope with your anxiety, to cope with your fears? What have you been bringing that you've been wanting to rely on and focus on and worship and trust? The prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 7 is a, is a Christmas prophecy, we could say. It's Christmas time. But it's actually, and this is often what's missed, it's actually very practical because it's a summons for everybody to cast away their idols and instead to test out and to lean upon the true and living God, to lean upon His greatness and His goodness. That's actually what the prophecy is about. And so if you're here and you're filled with anxiety, you're filled with fears, the Bible explains you. The Bible interprets you. And it has gone through and has interpreted such for many people in the past. And we're going to see then how God provided this guarantee that he could actually alleviate all of your fears and anxieties through his own power. But you've got to lean on him. You've got to trust him. You've got to put your faith in him. That's what we're going to see. Now, as we look at this prophecy, we're going to discover basically three things. You've got them in the bulletin. We're going to find out... uh, well, we're first, we're going to find out that God is really strong enough to be leaned on and that God's going to surprise us with what he can do in the future. So we're not going to doubt that he can do it. We're going to, we're going to lean on him. But we're going to see first, there's two kinds of tests that are going to be presented. Secondly, we're going to see there's this miracle test that's introduced. And then we're going to see the fulfillment even through the angel's announcement seven centuries later. So that's kind of what we're going to see. The two tests, then the miracle test, and then the fulfillment. Now, first we're going to see, strangely, it can be good to put the Lord to the test. doesn't seem right, but, it, you know, maybe you've thought of this. Maybe you've, you know, maybe you've ever felt this way, that you felt that God was putting you in a situation that seems impossible. That's what you have here. Ahaz was put into a position that seemed impossible. So just like think in your own mind so you can empathize with Ahaz. What is the impossible situation you think that you're stuck in right now? Now, as a result, maybe you've had anxiety. Have you ever had a panic attack? Don't raise your hand. It might be embarrassing. Nobody wants to admit they have panic attacks. Um, But look at Ahaz. He's under threat from these nearby countries. And this is how he and his country felt. Look back in verse 2 of chapter 7. Chapter 7 of Isaiah and verse 2. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. That's the northern kingdom Israel. So you've got Syria lining up with this other country. When the house of David, that's, that's Ahaz and the Judah, you know, heirs of David. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now, if you've ever had a panic attack, and I, I've had panic attacks. Like if you ever had a panic attack, like you, if you're to describe what's going on in your stomach, it's like the trees of the forest are shaken before the wind. You just like can't get, a, you can't get control of it. It's just, it's just shaking. And, and so it's very interesting, just this description 
of what Ahaz felt, but also the whole, all the people felt the same way. You have a nation of people having a collective panic attack. It's very fearful. It's, it's a nation filled with anxiety, anxious to try to have some solution. And so here's the test. Where do you go when you have a panic attack? What do you do? Do you go to your idols? Do you go to your go-tos, you know, your idols? Or do you go to God? Now, before we get to Ahaz's response in this passage, we're told that God has all kinds of details that he shares with Isaiah about what is going to happen in the near future. So I'm not going to get into all the political dynamics of what's going to happen. But basically, I could summarize it this way. The bad guys, they wanted to dump Ahaz. They wanted to get him out of there, and they wanted to put in a puppet king. So he, Ahaz sees it's a direct threat to his life. Like he's, they're going to come for him. But verse 7 tells us, verse 7 says essentially, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He says, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. Now, let me ask you this. Like when you are afraid of something in the future, and we all can be afraid of stuff in the future. When you're afraid of something that's, that you think is going to happen, you can kind of fancy yourself to be something of a prophet, right? You know, you can predict what's going to happen, and you can get very, very panicked about it. Do you ever do that? You're like, oh, I, I know how this is going to go, right? Oh, I, I, I know how this turns out. Oh, I know this, this, is, this, is way, this is coming. This is what's going to happen. And we kind of say, oh, well, yeah, I'm, you know, you're kind of taking on the prophet's hat. I'm a predictor of these things. And, and, and the truth is, you actually don't know really what's going on. You don't know. And, of course, if God tells you it's not going to happen, it's not. It's not going to happen. It's amazing. You know, I tell a story, I've said it often, how, you know, before I was a Christian, this one night I was going out to go to a party. And my mother had this thought. She said to me, she said, you know, I've kind of thought that, you know, you might be something like a Billy Graham someday. Now, I don't know how, where that intuition came from. Maybe my mother's a prophet. But I just, I just shook my head and I you know, Mother, why, why would you do that to yourself? That is never going to happen. Well, here I am. Sorry. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm preaching. I'm not Billy Graham, but I'm, I'm a preacher. I thought it was never going to happen. Obviously, I wasn't much of a prophet. But that's what we do. We think that these things that we assume are going to happen, they must happen in the way that we have mapped out. And it is not necessarily so. Because God is on His throne. And so, this, this is the thing. God is telling them, it is not going to happen. So there's this plot, this conspiracy, this plan. It's all set up. It looks very, very likely that Ahaz is going to be taken off the throne. They're going to put in a puppet king. That's going to be the end of Judah. They're going to be turned into a puppet. And God says, no, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. But that's, what, that's when we're tested, right? Will we believe God or not? And so for Ahaz... He was tested. Now, to seal the deal, God decided to let Ahaz ask for a sign. Now, the sign would confirm what God said was true. God's prediction would, would be as true as the sign coming to pass. So, if the sign comes to pass, that shows that the prediction is true. So, God is basically putting himself on the line here. He's putting himself, you know, into the test. He's putting himself to the test. He said to Ahaz then in verse 11, 
Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Haz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So Sheol, the place of the dead, high as heaven. So basically, you can ask anything. Now Ahaz, he was having a panic attack. And God was offering a sign to reassure Ahaz that the future that he feared would not come to pass. And so what sign would you ask for? You know, this is like, you know, straight out of, you know, one of those memes or something. What, what, would, you, what would you ask for? You ask for anything. What would you ask for? You know, do you want, I don't know, summer temperatures in December? Uh, you know, I, you want a huge inheritance from the mysterious uncle? You want uh, a Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup? You know, I just, I just Im- seemingly impossible. Um, I didn't even mention, I didn't even go with the Flames Oilers thing. I didn't even do that. I just included all of Canada. You're all thinking about soccer anyway, so. But biblically, Ahaz, you know, you think of all the signs of the Bible. Like Ahaz could have asked, asked for God to send a global flood on the earth like, like he did for Noah. Or, or could, he could have offered a, a burning bush, a bush on fire that doesn't consume itself just like Moses saw. Or he, he could have asked like Elijah did to, ask, to have fire come down from heaven and burn up sacrifices to prove that the prophets of Baal and their God were all false. Or, when you even really think about it, getting a little closer to what we're talking about, he could have asked that an elderly woman like Sarah could give birth to a special baby. He could have asked for that. All of these are extraordinarily, naturally inexplicable, true blue ribbon, blue ribbon miracles. And yet, they're, they're real. It's supernatural, but it's real. And, and this was then a special time when God was inviting Ahaz to put him to the test. Now, we know we're not supposed to put God to the test. We aren't supposed to treat God like Aladdin's lamp and manipulating him to try to get our three wishes. But in this special case, God invites Ahaz to put him to the test. So the question is, could God predict things and then seal the prediction with something so difficult that only God could make it happen? That's the issue. That's the test. And what did Ahaz say? What did Ahaz come up with? We're looking to see, well, what what creative thing is he going to ask? This crazy request to ask of God. And what does he do? Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Do you know those times in your life when you've, maybe you've done this, or you certainly have seen others do it to you, where you offer to share something good with them, and they refuse, they say, no, thank you. And sometimes there's a good reason, but a lot of times when they, when they refuse the good thing that you're giving them, it's kind of insulting. Do you, do you, have you ever felt that way? I felt that way. Felt, you know, it's like, I, you know, I'm, I, it's a gift. I'm giving this to you. What, 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 is, is my stuff not good enough for you? And, and so that, that's kind of the thing. You offer that hospitality, that, in, that assistance, that you know, you're saying, yeah, we're doing something fun. You want to come along. We're including you. And they respond by not wanting anything to do with you. They don't even want the good things that you give. They, they don't want your gifts. Now, they might justify it and they say, oh, well, I don't want to trouble you. You know, or, I, 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 I don't want anybody to make a fuss over me. And sometimes it can kind of sound sort of humble, but it's really false humility. It's really covering up the issue. And Ahaz has his same false humility. But what he was really saying to God was, I don't really want your help. I don't really want to be vulnerable towards you. I don't really want to deal with you. I actually have my own plans. 
So I'm not even going to get into it with you. You're offering something, but I just I got other stuff. I'm going in a different direction. And see, that's the first kind of test. God invites Ahaz to put God himself to the test, and instead of taking God up on the offer, Ahaz is so arrogant that he doesn't even accept the offer. But I'll tell you what, are you different? Am I different? Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, you know, that, that little benediction, he said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. And, and that's true today. And yet, it's kind of like, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of do my own thing. I'm going to find my own ways. I'm going to find my own ways to deal with my anxiety. I'm going to find relief in my own way. Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think. That sounds good, but actually, I don't know about you, God. I'm going to look at some other options. See, it's true today as much as 2,700 years ago. But then the thing is, when we act like that, just like Ahaz, the issue is that we're actually too proud to accept God's offer and to actually test out whether he can keep his promises or not. We don't even venture forth to rely on him that way. So that was the first test. But the second test is different. Look at verse 13 of chapter 7. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Now, of course, God doesn't get tired, does he? But God is speaking in this accommodating manner because he's gone out of his way to show his faithfulness and reliability to Ahaz. What more could God have done for Judah? So God confronts the house of David. That is the kingdom of Judah. He, he condemns them for never being satisfied. Is that you? Is that how you view God? Oh, God never comes through for me. I only get bad luck. Is that kind of how you think of things? It's a way a lot of Christians talk. Or no, I shouldn't say that. They don't talk that way. They, they talk, you know, in their inner talk they say that. They would never admit that. But that's kind of how they view it. Oh, I, God just doesn't come through for me. He confronts Ahaz for never being satisfied, never being content, never trusting, never finding God to be good enough for them. And so you might be doing this right now where you're wearying God like this. You're, you're actually testing his patience. You're refusing to trust God for things in your life. I, you know, those of you who are married, are, are you, are you, right now, are you refusing to trust him for your marriage? You're just saying, I'm not going to trust him. I'm going to do things my way. Or you're maybe refusing to trust God for your health. Or are you refusing to trust God for your country? Or refusing to trust God for your business? Or your kids? Or your church? It doesn't matter. And you just kind of decide, well, okay, for this part of my life, I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to start looking in some other directions. I'm not really going to seek God and lean on Him for this. But you've got to remember, God is strong enough to be leaned on. God's going to surprise you with what he can do in the future. And so don't doubt that he can do it. You, you need to stop refusing to lean on him. You just need to go ahead and trust him. But from that testing God rightly to testing his patience, I want to go then to the miracle test. And this is where we're getting to the heart of it. Because of all the signs that God could offer, all of them pale in comparison to this one. Verse 14. You know it well. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we confess, don't we, that life begins at conception. But biologically speaking, 
virginity, by definition, means no beginning to conception. Right? By definition. So the sign that God was giving was naturally impossible. It was an oxymoron. Virgins can't conceive. Virgins can only conceive if they cease to be virgins first. Not getting any more into birds and bees than that. I'll leave that for parents. The point, the point is to recognize the natural impossibility of God making this happen. It was naturally impossible. So take the natural impossibility of a virgin conception, what's only happened once in human history, by the way, take the natural impossibility of that sign and then line it up against the natural impossibility of Judah Judah getting out of their jam. Two natural impossibilities side by side. And of course, one of those is way more impossible than the other one. Then, then, you know, just seeing that historically, so Judah and its little political jam compared to the, the natural impossibility of a virgin conception. Now think about the stuff in your life. Think about the things that are natural impossibilities. Things that you, you can't imagine. Things that give you panic attacks as you feel your world closing in. The things that wake, make you wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning and make your head spin and you're worried about you're panicked about, you're anxious about. Think about how impossible they seem to be, they're impossible to be solved. And think of all of your anxiety, all of, all of the effort and worry that you have put into trying to make impossible things possible. Think of all of your depression all of your depression at just giving up like Ahaz and resigning yourself to disaster with no possible hope. When you are that anxious and panicked, you need to look at this sign. This is not just Christmas carols. That's not what, that's not what this verse is about. This verse is about right where you're at, right where you're feeling, right at the points of your stress, right at the points of your fear. It's right there for you because the point is that when you are feeling anxious and panicked, you see this naturally impossible sign that God binds himself to. So that's the move you need to make. You need to look at this sign when you're anxious. Now I just want to comment because there's lots of smart folks here and you kind of everybody now is searching the internet for answers in relation to sermons and what, you know, oh this is what Clint said, but on the internet it says something else. Uh, and and one of the things you'll find, you've maybe heard this, is that the Hebrew word for virgin, it means simply young woman. Uh oh, oh, there goes, oh, there goes, there goes the virgin conception prophecy. It must not be true. That doesn't, you know, that's what somebody's going to say. Oh, it doesn't mean virgin. Well, yeah, the Hebrew word is young, Hebrew word is young woman. There's no Hebrew word for virgin. But in Israel, there was no such thing as a young woman unmarried who was not a virgin. So that's why then the Jewish translators of the Hebrew Bible use the word parthenos or virgin to translate the meaning of the Hebrew. So it actually is a virgin. It's just using different words. And then further to this amazing sign that was naturally impossible, God said that the child to be born would be a boy. It's a boy. And, and I, I mean, I, I just have to say it, that binary sexes are central to the identity of the promised child. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, we didn't used to have to really emphasize that because everybody believed that. But now we've got to say it. A virgin woman gives birth to a male child. Deny the binary, you deny the Christ. Okay, just to be clear. Now, of course, 
that gets to more reasons why this boy would be so special because it, it was predicted, you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, you might know from the Christmas carols that Emmanuel means God with us. The idea is El. El is the word for God. Emmanuel is with us. God with us. Emmanuel. Now, maybe this is just a fancy name for a special kid. You know, boys today might be called Jesus or Theodore, you know, gift of God. But in this case, it's not just a fancy name. It's actually a description of who this son is. He is a boy, but he is also God. This prophecy is telling us that this child would be both God and man. That as the boy was present with the people in Judah, the special presence of God was there too. Two natures existing side by side, unified, unmixed, unseparated, but distinct. The divine nature and the human nature. This is absolutely critical for our understanding of who the true Christ is. Now, in the New City Catechism, which we use around here, um, and if you're not using it, I encourage you, start using it at your dinner table, whether you're married with kids or just married or you're single. You can be going through the New City Catechism at your, at your dinner table. If you need one, we'll get you copies. But in question 21 of the New City Catechism, the question is this. What sort of Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? What sort? Like, what's the qualification? What is, he, what is this Redeemer, what, they, what does he have to have? And the answer is one who is truly human and also truly God. It has to be both. has to be both. St. Augustine of North Africa, referring to the fulfillment of this prophecy, he said this, quote, He who existed as the Son of God before all ages without a beginning deigned to become the Son of Man in these recent years. Begotten by the Father, He was not made by the Father. He was made man in the mother whom He Himself had made, so that He might exist here for a while, sprung from her who would who could never and nowhere have existed except through his power, unquote. You see how marvelous this is, that God, the creator of the virgin, would take on flesh by a miracle in the virgin's conception. Now, why did God give that kind of miracle? Well, again, trying to just repeat the point, it was to show that God is able to do the impossible and even to remove any reasons for fear and doubt. We see that God is strong enough to be leaned on then. God will surprise you with what He can do in the future, and you don't, you don't, you don't need to doubt that He can do it. You, you just need to lean on Him. Now, I want us then to go where most of you think thought this was going, which is to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And this gets us then to the announcement of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 1. You maybe know the story. The angel Gabriel announces to Mary about what's going to happen. Chapter 1 of Luke, picking up in verse 28. We'll start there. Verse 27 speaks of she's a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, just in case you didn't catch that. And he came to her, this is the angel Gabriel. He came to her, verse 28, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Pretty lofty prediction that the angel gives to Mary. This child's going to be the heir of David's kingdom. So could this heir that Mary would give birth to be able to reign forever? A kingdom with no end? Was that just hyperbole? But even before that, Mary has this really, really appropriate question. There's this impossible barrier that, that still exists to this all coming true. And she says in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, I mean, Mary's amazing. She's talking back to the angel. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Straight up. There's, there's something wrong with your prophecy here, angel. I'm a virgin, she said. Naturally impossible. Just like the sign given to Ahaz 700 years before. Well, Mary doesn't respond like Ahaz. She doesn't understand, but she asks for more. She wasn't too proud or too distrusting. She asked, how can this be? Since I am naturally unable to do what you claim. Of course, the answer is verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then just to help Mary appreciate what God was doing, God shared the fact of another miracle baby given to her old relative, Verse 36, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Again, naturally impossible that God had done. What's the point of all this? What was the point for Ahaz? What's the point for you when you're anxious and panicked? Right? We're all anxious and panicked. You may or may not be admitting it. What's the point when you're trying to make sense of this impossible world? Verse 37 of Luke 1. For nothing will be impossible with God. That is the point. Nothing will be impossible with God. This is what God does. He takes what is naturally impossible and makes it true, makes it real, makes it come to pass. And if you want evidence of that, just look at people in your pew. Because people in your pew were lost. Lost, destined for hell. Lost without hope. And God saved them. The people in your pew. He can make a sinner like you a sinner like me, be able to stand and stand and be right before God. That is naturally impossible. But it is supernaturally possible when God makes it so. Consider the Virgin Mary conceived. The Son of God was born. God and man, God with us, Emmanuel. And He is the only Redeemer, the only Savior who can fulfill the conditions to make the impossible possible. He is the only one who can save sinners like us. Only a Savior who is God and man can save man from God. Jesus is the only one who qualifies. And so, to close, I just ask you this. Are you leaning on Him? Like, really, are you leaning on Him? Are you rightly relying on God to be faithful to His promises? Or are you doubting? Are you thinking, He isn't good? Or, or I'm not good enough for Him to be good to me? Maybe you're thinking that He can't sweep away the troubles that are plaguing you. And maybe you're wearying God by not even giving Him a thought that He could deliver you. You've kind of given up on Him. Yeah, sure, you're here at church, but you're not really leaning on Him to deal with the anxious 
issues you've got. You've got other plans this week of how to deal with those. You've given up. But let's, let's be clear about this. Jesus Christ, the embodied, incarnate Son, is the one who proves that God is strong enough to be leaned on. You can lean on Him today. If you're not leaning on Him, you can start leaning on Him today. You can trust Him. And God then, He's going to surprise you. He'll surprise you with what He can do in your future. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're all afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow. God owns tomorrow. You can trust Him and His goodness for tomorrow. So don't doubt that He can do that. Don't refuse to lean on Him. You are called today to lean on the Christ who has prophesied and who is alive today. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask that you would draw us near even to Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And for any who do not lean on him, I pray that you would grant them repentance to turn from their sins, turn from all their false desires, all of their little idols, all preferring their own way, to turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please, sta please stand as we sing in praise even to this long-expected Jesus. Please rise. If you're anxious to achieve the heights of some throne that's out there, just look at His all-sufficient merit instead of trying to aspire to the merit on your own. And we need to put our faith in God as Mary did when she responded. And this is our benediction. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Will you trust his promises today and lean on him alone? Cast out your fear and anxiety. Cast your cares upon him and trust him for his promises. Go in peace. You're dismissed.